G'day mate, Forty here. So I'm here on my vacation to Australia. I flew out of Los Angeles November 16th, arrived in Cindy November 18th, and I've not been a big spender. So I've been seeing a lot of people, and so far I haven't bought a meal for anyone. It's just everyone else has been buying meals for me. The rabbi's had me to his home twice. I've been taken out to eat countless times. I've been put up you know, everywhere I've gone. When we, we stayed at uh, vacation resorts, you know, someone else has, has paid for it. And uh, I'm not a big spender. And the primary reason I'm not a big spender is that I love my freedom. And so when you spend money... That, that usually means that you're going to have to put in a, a lot of work and lose, lose your, your freedom. So I want to spend my spare time reading books, making videos, creating podcasts, writing blog posts, writing in my journal, uh, doing self-development stuff, traveling, hanging out with friends. So uh, when you're an employee, it's a bit like being a slave. Now, there are great bosses out there, and I've had my share of great bosses. We're going to work is a pleasure, but, but uh, being a wage slave is like being a wage slave, and it's fine and good and necessary, but surely there's more to life. And so because I put such a premium on my freedom, I've generally been fairly careful with how I spend money. And uh, I've mainly been hanging out with family, and family knows you real well, right? <laughs> so, so I wanted to see if I can get a, an online uh, job review from my, my brother, my employer, because he taught me how to do the watering. So I was just like listening on an audible book on uh, the Russian Jewish novelist Vasily Grossman and uh, listening to an audible book. And I didn't want to be too bothered by the particulars of my work. And so I, most half of my work has been watering. So I just kind of Put you know, put a finger over the the hose and just let it you know, spray in the in the general direction of the plants, but but apparently just like that general spray, you know, hitting the leaves and some of it like drops down into into the pot, not particularly efficient, and God forbid, God forbid, if if my brother hadn't caught some of my sloppy watering, he'd have dead plants because plants can die in four hours here because the, the temperatures have been over ninety degrees every day since I, I've been in Tenham, and uh, these plants don't get a good watering every four hours dur during the heat of the day. They, they can die. And I'm just kind of standing back there, like, spraying. But apparently, the way to do a thorough watering is you put a crink in the hose, and then you direct the nozzle of the hose, like, right onto the pot. Well, bloody hell, mate. There are, like, there are like a thousand potted plants there. So the proper way to do my watering job would be to put a crink in the hose and then put the hose reduced flow like onto each part and then they're like in bunches and you'd have to like bend over and it'd be an awful lot of work like I'm just trying I'm out here on a vacation like I don't mind putting out a nice spray but like you know getting down and, and dirty and like directing the hose on, on each one of a thousand potted plants that's that's really demanding. So, I I got the, got the critique that I wasn't doing the watering right, and uh, I recognized that there was a lot of wisdom in this critique. Oh, g'day, Jim. How are you, mate? Thank you so much for your hospitality and those delicious mangoes.
and all the rides around Sydney and to the Blue Mountains. Good to see you, mate. So, uh, so I got the, the proper directions on how to water. And then, God forbid, God forbid, 10 minutes later, I was back to spraying because, like, the watering, like, putting the, 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 the hose, like, right under the, the potted plant, it was, it was interfering with my audible listening. All right, I'm trying to enjoy this very pleasant book on, on Vasily Grossman. You know, I'm out here to have a nice vacation and like doing the watering right, it, it's, uh, it's putting a crimp into my audible listening. So I'm thinking about this and, and I'm asking my rallies, like, have you ever been fired? And like most of my rallies that I'm talking to, they have never been fired. And most of them have never lost a friend. And that's like incomprehensible to me because I've had... Now, all, so many burden bridges with friends and every job I ever held between 6th grade and 10th grade I got fired from Oy vey. and then about I got thrown out of three acting schools in 1994 and then I got fired from four temp jobs between 1995 and 1997 for inappropriate language in the workplace like they thought I was saying like sexually explicit things to to the women who are working there oh i think you think i've lost 20 pounds every muscle i have is tight and sore everything is sore i'm doing i'm exercising muscles that i've forgotten that i had like uh my my, my work schedule has just been like too rigorous I, i've had to had to cut back it's like my, my my work for my brother has been interfering with my live streaming so i'm I'd said yesterday lunch, look, I need to take the rest of the week off because every muscle I have is sore. Every single muscle. But, but I, found, I found a solution. So I, I found a partial solution. So one is rest. So live streaming allows me to, uh, to rest my sore muscles. And then I found one other solution. So let's listen to the ethics of alternative media. Oh, wait, here we go. Okay. What are the ethics of alternative media? Well, I'll show you this. Uh, well. Correct. Is there a responsibility to have a conversation about things that are large and going on in the world because you can access people? Mm. I mean, there's certainly an implicit obligation to have conversations that people want to watch Thanks. and want to listen to. And I would, I mean, I would argue, I mean, I come from a news background, so I'm coming from a whole set of expectations, like whatever is the most interesting thing, whatever is the most novel thing then that's something that I want to cover. I want, I want to kind of make films that, that are about things that people are interested in. But, I mean, that, that, there's a whole gamut of things. Like, how do you choose what people want? You can just limbically hijack and race to the bottom of the brainstem with that very easily. Oh, so there was one job. Like, I went in there, and the first thing they gave me was, like, this sexual harassment uh, statement that was, like, five pages long. So, so this is my first day at the job, and it was my first time working. Okay, this is my... This is going to help my, my sore right elbow. Because I forgot to bring my flex bars. I, I brought my gum and I brought my crystal light, but I forgot my flex bars. I forgot my activator. And then I forgot that oil that you put on ingrown toenails, which made my ingrown toenail pain go away. So now the ingrown pain is coming back. All my muscles are tight and sore because I don't have the activator. And I don't have my flex bar because you need something that brings the muscle, lengthens the muscle away from the elbow. So I went to a physical therapist, and he would unstitch my muscles. This is so painful, but oh, but it kind of unstitches the muscles so that they stop pulling on the elbow. 
Like, I lifted, like, three tons of concrete the other day. Not all at once. You know, that's, like, 100, you know, 100 bags. Oh, so I'm stitching those, those muscles. And then, because this is my substitute flex bar. So I'm trying to, like, lengthen the muscle there away from the elbow. Mate, I wish I had my flex bars. But flex bars, they cost 29 bucks in Australia. That's without shipping. That's 29 bucks on Amazon AU. Amazon Australia, 29 bucks for a flex bar. I, I could get them. I think I got them for like 12, 15 dollars in the states. So I don't want to spend 30 dollars for a flex bar. So this is the next best thing for to a flex bar. Oh. And then I don't have my activator. You know where I get. Oh, man, I, I, I miss my activator. Anyway, so the one problem with this substitute flex bar is that it keeps dropping all these wood chips and this video is about how to be a joy and one way to be what one way to be a joy is not to be dropping wood splinters because I can't buy my way out of my bad behavior because I'm, I'm not going to spend any money while I'm here so so I, I'm, I'm trying to watch all my p's and q's and, and be, a, be a be a very pleasant guest and I'm trying to bring joy instead of bringing money I'm bringing joy so I know normally when you're hanging out with your nieces and your nephews and like people that you want to you know get along with and, and form bonds with you know you bring money like but I'm not really in a position to bring money so instead of bringing money I'm just trying to bring the joy bring the joy and just try to impress them I, you know, I let them know that on uh, on one of my videos uh, two days ago I made five dollars and that at one point I had up to nine live viewers so I'm not sure that my, my rallies were very impressed by that. But see, it's not the numbers. People ask me, oh, 40, how do you make money with live streaming? Like, how many viewers do you need? It's not about numbers, guys. It's about quality. It's about connection. It's about the relationship, right? Everything comes down to relationship. You have a good, connected you know, relationship you know, with your viewers, then uh, that's what matters. It's, you know, it's not metrics and numbers it's just that bond that you have with the blokes who are watching you so according to youtube 100 percent of my audience is is male oh, so not a very good flex bar but it's better than nothing and it does reduce the right elbow pain up to three tons of concrete lifting Oi. okay so i'm trying to bring the joy on my trip and that means I'm keeping myself like open-minded to learning from everyone. Like when I was hanging out with Jim Bowden, I was thinking, what can I learn from Jim? Like Jim's very respectable man. It's about quality. It's about morale. It's about connection. It's about relationship. Like I was hanging out with Jim Bowden and think, this is a very respectable man. This is a very accomplished man. This is an educated man. This is an erudite man. This is a generous, kind man. And, you know, let me learn from Jim Bowden. So I was learning from the bloody troll, Jim Bowden. And so I, I ran into some fair dinkum Aussies who didn't have any teeth, at least no, no front teeth. And uh, I was learning from toothless Aussies. I mean, they, they, were, they were building and they were mucking around in their yard. And it's like, oh, they, they look you know, as happy as a pig in feces. So I thought, oh, yeah, I can learn from that. And then I'm learning from my rallies. I've never been fired and never lost a friend. Like, that's unbelievable. So, yeah, I, I started this job first day, first, first few minutes, go in. It's my first time with this temp firm. And it's my first time 
at this job. We're as desperate as you look like attracts likes. That's my first time. This is like 1996. And I read and sign off on like a five-page sexual harassment guideline. And then they lead me to my office. And I'm going to be taking dictation and uh, like there are tapes that need to be transcribed. So they, uh, I, I come to my office and, and I'm seated next, I'm going to be seated next to this attractive woman. And uh, my, my, uh, my transcription machine is not plugged in. So she gets up and then she goes down and like crawls under the desk and like plugs in my transcription machine. And, and I said, I, I'm a very moral man. I'm not going to take advantage of the situation. And then I got fired, like just for that. And she was like real disappointed. So I, I, I mean, just for like a, a stray mark like that. And then like another job, I, you know, I, I shared a, I shared copies of the movie that 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 I'd made. Yeah, some some women at the workplace who had an interest in alternative filmmaking. And so I, uh, I shared with them, you know, what women want. Gave, gave them just a hint of the, of the plot line. And uh, I got in trouble for that. Like just sharing a copy of my movie. You know, my, my independent alternative gonzo, gonzo movie. Got, got into quite a bit of trouble for that. So, yeah, all sorts of alternative speech. And uh, there, there was also some flatulence problems. Because the vegetarian diet, it produces a lot of flatulence, and uh, people aren't as always as, as understanding as they should be of the of the vegetarian flatulence issue. Like I feel like flatulent vegetarians, such as myself, I feel like we should be a protected group. Right? We, we should be we should be protected. I did not ask to be flatulent. Right? I did not ask to be this way. It's just something about the the vegetarian diet that, that's done this for me. And where is the legal protection? What do women want? It was a very thoughtful exploration of, of uh, Freudian themes of what women want, uh, taking it into the, the present day. Okay, so I'm trying to bring the joy at least. So I, I'm learning from, from people who've never been fired, right? That they do their jobs and they pay attention and they're diligent and they're stable. Uh... I've kind of found that that there are a lot of relationships I don't want to deepen because I've found that many people that I've known, as long as we have a shallow relationship, everything's fine. But once we start to get deeper, either they find out things about me or I find out things about them, and then we have the falling out. So, so, but but my rallies, they don't really have this problem. So I've got something to learn from, from my rallies, like even the young ones, the, the medium ones, the, the old ones. Now, I'm here to learn, and as long as, seriously, as I've got this like humble, approachable attitude, as you know, virtually everybody I know has been more successful in life than I have. They've gotten married, they've had kids, they've got, they own homes, they own property, they've got superannuation, which means solid retirement. That, you know, yeah, I, I, I want to learn from them. And then I don't just want to learn from them, I want to bring the joy. Right? So, 10 simple ways to bring joys to others. Is your brother envious of you having been asshole of the month? No. My brother does not give off any, any signs of being envious. And I haven't mentioned that, that distinction to my nieces. 
I, I'm just not sure we're, we're at that stage yet. But seriously, we can, even if you're a total loser, you can bring joy to other people because one, there are usually people who are more of a loser than you are. And two, just being around, like just being a human presence, as long as you're not obnoxious and smell bad, you make people feel better. When we're simply around other people, we feel happier. If we have you know, elementary interactions with people, we will tend to feel happier. That small talk in the elevator would tend to make you and other people feel happier. So when I would go to 12-step meetings like five, 10 minutes early and set up the chairs, I was being of service. I helped the, the meeting go. And just like being at the meeting and listening to people, I, I was making people feel happier. I'm like a really good listener. And so if people want to talk, I can be of service. I can bring them you know, some measure of, of peace and happiness and contentment just by, just by being a good listener. So just by showing up, uh, helping to set up chairs, just just being around people, a little small talk, saying hi. Luke, what actually happened with with what, mate? With what? So yeah, I think it's really important to to bring joy. Um, like I can be an outgoing personality. So when I was in synagogue, a lot of people enjoyed my company because for every, virtually everyone I met in synagogue, their lives were set. They'd been married for ten, twenty, thirty, forty years. They had children. They had grandchildren. They were entrenched in their careers. You know, they'd lived in, in the same area for 5, 10, 20, 30 years. Their lives were set, and they got a kick. They enjoyed you know, my, my company as, as someone whose life was not set, whose life was wide open, someone who was uh, uh, thinking about you know, moving from Los Angeles to, to Sydney. So from an Orthodox Jewish perspective, that, that kind of move doesn't make sense because there are far more... Orthodox Jewish resources in, in Los Angeles than, than there are in, in Sydney. But uh, someone who's got that kind of flexibility, that, that lack of obligation, that lack of responsibility, it was entertaining for them. So I could be of entertainment value and, and I could bring joy to people whose lives are largely set and determined. They've been in the same field for 10, 20, 30 years. They've been married for 30 years. They have kids. They have been in the same community for 30 years so someone who's flexible between you know living in los angeles or sydney or doing this or doing that i'm sorry i haven't seen all of your streams bro don't waste your time watching all of my streams it's so nice of you to just you know stop by and 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 have a go mate have a go so we got the the third uh ashes test match starting uh boxing day which is sunday so one of the easiest ways to bring bring joy is simply by smiling at them. I remember I was having some disagreements and some troubles with Dennis Prager, but we're still going to the same synagogue. And in the middle of all those disappointments, it was like after lunch and we were enjoying music at the synagogue. I just smiled at him. And when I smiled at Dennis, Dennis smiled back at me, right? That, that's one way that we can bring joy is by being happy. And so I don't have a lot of concrete accomplishments in life, but at least the last five years have been pretty solid happiness at about a 95% plus level of the time. I've been a happy guy and just being a happy person who looks forward to getting up in the morning and going about the day, that, that can bring joy by, by smiling at people. But one thing I do not like is when I'm told to smile for photos. Like you tell me to smile for a photo and, oh man, I got told to smile for photos last night and I just refused and I looked hideous. I just like, it was just like the absolute worst. Okay, so question from the chat. Luke, have you considered accepting the life you have and not comparing it to others? Well, guess what? Uh, comparing yourself to others is inevitable. And 
it is unrealistic to not do it. But you should be able to tell in all the comparisons, it doesn't get me down. It doesn't make me melancholy. I don't hate myself. It doesn't make me unhappy. And I, I don't believe that you know, my life is judged by how much money I have in my bank account or whether or not I'm married or have kids. So I think that's unrealistic. So there is a lot of like self-help guru advice, you know, don't compare yourself to others. And it's well-meaning and all that, but it's not realistic. We always have to compare ourselves to others. One, for information, because we may be doing some things wrong. And two, for, for safety. We, we need to know who our tribe is. We need to know who, who we're safe around. And there's comparing, it's not a choice, bro. That is total delusion. The idea that you can go through life without comparing yourself to others as a choice, it's, it's nonsense. We are wired to be constantly checking in with other people. Right? We are wired to be constantly comparing ourselves with others. Now, you can do that in a way that makes you miserable, you know, where you compare your insides to other people's outsides, or you can accept it as a, as a source of information, a source of safety, and as a source of bonding, like we know, we need to know who our tribe is. So a lot of people, I, I think they, they alternate between thinking, oh, I should never compare myself to others. And when they find themselves doing that, it's like, no, let me shut that off. And then the other is they go too far with uh, comparing themselves to others and they get become miserable. No, it's not possible and it is not desirable. You have to compare yourself to others to know who your tribe is. Like, what's the stat status of your relationship with other people? And learn from them. Like, they may be doing things better than you, and so you should learn from them. Right? We are white. We, we can't even pull it off. It's, it's a delusion to, to think that, uh, that we can live our lives without comparing ourselves to others. But we can do it in a light way. It's like, you can be religious, and you can be religious in a heavy way that alienates you from other people and makes you really judgmental and a total jerk. Or you can carry your religion in a light way so that uh, it's, not, it's not a burden to people. And so you can accept your, your comparisons with others as a source of information, as a source of safety, right? Our, the biggest, the best way to prepare for inflation is to notice where you stand with other people, right? The biggest protection against tsunamis, earthquakes, fires, inflation, unemployment, old age poor health is the status of your relationships with others that's the thing that's the best way to prepare for an earthquake that's the best way to prepare for inflation like i have various friends who say oh we're entering this hyperinflationary uh time and uh you know what's your plan well the best plan is to be connected with other people right have, be on good relations with your family thank god i have that uh, be on good relations with your community and, and with your friends and with your employer. Like your most important relationship in the workplace is with your employer. Like you both need each other. You seem to have been self-flagellating for a long time. Is this the face of someone who self-flagellates? I don't believe in denying reality. I don't believe in trying to do things that are impossible. Uh, I don't believe in being anti-human, right? To, to be human is to be noticing and comparing yourself with others. All right. It's, it's, there's this like well-meaning self-help advice, like never compare yourself to others. It's complete delusion. We are wired. Our safety depends upon our relationships with other people. Right. 
and you can't you can't relate to people unless you see them with some accuracy and when you see them with some accuracy you will notice things that they have that you don't have and things that you have that they don't have all right so if someone's poor it would be in bad taste to talk to them about your investments right so to be able to make have that degree of empathy you would have already had to compare yourself to them you have to be aware of their situation all right so other, everybody has a burden everybody has has vulnerabilities and it, it's like it's the same thing that you're saying Elliot to don't compare yourself to others it's the same thing that a lot of conservative intellectuals say oh you know you shouldn't shouldn't gossip the great people talk about ideas you know, middle people talk about events and you know lower class people talk about people that's nonsense like what kind of life can you have if you're not concerned about other people Right? If you're concerned and interested in other people, you're going to talk about other people. Right? To not gossip is totally inhuman. Right? So there are all these like moral ideals. Don't compare yourself to others. You know, don't gossip. Uh, don't be chasing after fame and honor and glory and uh, sexual satisfaction. Like these, these admonitions sound really good, but they're totally inhuman. Right? We are wired to connect. We are wired to compare. We are wired for a desire for social status. We are wired for a desire for you know, a loving physical relationship. And to you know, try to turn off these natural passions, I think, is, is inhuman, and I don't think it's helpful. <laughs> Chat says Jim Bowden. I hope I'm not embarrassing Luke, but having met him, he is a genuine person. What you see is what you get. Luke, do you avoid women due to your under-earning? No, I do not avoid women, all right? But I do deny them my essence, all right? I, I don't shun women. I talk with women. I interact with women, but I do deny them my essence. They don't get to have my vital bodily fluids. They don't get to contaminate that. Can you be concerned about others and not self-flagellate? Of course. Uh, also, the melancholy personality likes dwelling in negative emotions. Uh, the neurotic personality likes dwelling in negative emotions. So I think I have an above-average tendency to melancholy and to neuroticism. So anyone who converts to another religion, you're dealing with someone who's neurotic. You know, someone who's trying to get rid of an unwanted self and recreate himself you know, through embracing some new religion or some new cult or some new community or you know, move to a different area, you're dealing with someone who's neurotic. If you want to be socially well-adjusted, thrive in your professional and personal life, you need to worship Apollo. The downside of having met Luke is I can't troll him any longer. That's the same way I noticed in the porn industry. Like, people in the porn industry or around the porn industry, once they meet porn stars and get to know them as human beings... It, it becomes a lot more difficult to jack off to them. So, so if you feel like you've gotten to know me, it probably inhibits your ability to use, use me for autoeroticism. So sexual desire depends upon objectification. Like when you, you know, recognize somebody's full humanity, it becomes a lot more difficult to have sex with them. Luke's tremendous potential has been limited by his adoption of Orthodox Judaism. Luke's tremendous potential has also been limited by his lack of care, lack of consideration, his selfishness, his self-seeking, his attention-seeking, 
his histrionics, uh, his tendencies to dishonesty, and his uh, tremendous uh, predilection for inordinate amounts of fear. Those have also held me back in life. There was a time when I used Ron Jeremy's face on yours, and now the dream is over now. <laughs> yeah, he could easily have had 30-plus viewers right now if he hadn't converted to Orthodox Judaism. <laughs> I'm carrying my firstborn right now. She's nearly a month old, says Bruce Mazeltov. How will you know when you've self-flagellated enough? I'm not sure. I think... If you're a melancholy personality or a neurotic personality, you may, or, or if you're a writer, you'll probably engage in much more melancholy reflection, self-flagellation, and neuroticism than, say, someone who's working as an economist. So I noticed when I started studying calculus and economics, it changed me, like everything we do affects us. So prior to studying calculus and, and economics, uh, I was most interested in English literature and poetry. Once I started studying calculus and started studying economics, I lost my my capacity to enjoy poetry for a long, long time. So, when, when I've you know largely been a writer for much of my life, and so you engage in a lot more introspection when, when you're a writer. At least my, my writing comes out of a lot of it comes out of my my own experience. So, I would. You know, sometimes I sit in my room and listen to songs from the 70s to take me back to events that happened in the 70s and emotions that I felt in the 70s so that I could then write about them. And I think that's, that's normal behavior. Like a, a normal person doesn't need to roll that way. <laughs> okay, back to ways to, to bring joy. Uh, give a compliment. So, yeah, if it's genuine, it's not manipulative. Uh, remember your manners. The logical emotion versus yeah so as a writer you know, I spend a lot more time in my emotions than a normal blog there's there's a lot of the woman in me so if you have a job like if you're an accountant or you're a tax lawyer or a patent lawyer uh, it'll probably reduce your your capacity for enjoying poetry and the emotions so yeah remembering remembering your manners so now, there are people who've been put out of their rooms, have been, been put out of their ordinary way of living so that I can stay with them. So I'm also bringing my big computer and my two phones and all sorts of electronic gear. I'm, I'm taking up space. And so a lot of people get great feeling of peace having everything in order. And so I'm creating a mess. So I need to you know, be cognizant of the psychic strain that I'm putting on other people and to appropriately appreciate them. So... I'm not coming with the money, but at least I can come with the compliments, the joy, and uh, try to remember my manners. <laughs> but one thing I'm learning, right, because I'm around family so much, is that uh, I got a lot of disgusting habits. So I live as a bachelor, and so I am used to taking milk out of the refrigerator and just opening the top and, and drinking straight from, from the bottle. And uh, unfortunately, I brought that habit to my brother's kitchen, and it's disgusting. Also, also, not everyone appreciates junk gum chewing. You know, I like to chew gum after every meal, or any time my mouth doesn't feel perfect, I like to chew gum. But a lot of people find that an absolutely disgusting habit. So I've forgotten my predilection for disgusting habits, but the good thing about being around family is they've known you for 55 years. 
and uh, so they they spot the tendencies, and so they know you better than pretty much anyone, and uh, and it's a dose of reality. Uh, do the dirty work. Okay, so I've done some dishes and I've thrown out the the fruit and vegetable trash in the compo compost hole in, in the back. So I've tried to tried to step up that way. The little uh, wood crumbs that I'm letting off from my roller, I'm trying to pick them up. Look, if you finally decide to make Australia your permanent place of abode, so right now I'm about 80% sure that I'm going to move to Australia. But I need to get a couple of things sorted before that becomes 100%. So I'm working on getting, getting certain things sorted out before... I say, yeah, I'm uh, absolutely moving to Australia. Also, I want to go back to Los Angeles and see how I feel. So I don't trust my own judgment. So this is an emotional move for me. I came to Australia and experienced a sense of joy and peace and thought, oh, I want to move here. But I don't trust myself. I want to fly back to Los Angeles. I may feel a tremendous feeling of joy when I get back to Los Angeles that uh, I can't properly anticipate right now. So I want to be back in Los Angeles, remember my wonderful two months in Australia, and then, and then try to see things more clearly. So right now, all, all arrows are pointing to moving to Sydney. But there may be some things I need, there are definitely some things I need to sort out first. Uh, so yeah, do the dirty work, bring others joy by doing the necessary dirty work with a smile. Help someone out. Yeah, bring, bring joy to others by helping them out. Ask how you can help, but help moderately. Like, don't get don't get too deeply involved, particularly with addicts. Right? People will take advantage of you. People will do you know everything they can to uh, to get what they want. I tend to do everything that I want to get what I want. I tend to ask for what I want. I tend to you know try to smooth the, the gears, oil the the wheels, so that I can get what I want, and then. And then other people will take advantage of you if you allow it. So if other people are taking advantage of you, then that means you need to set up boundaries. Oh, I was having a discussion with someone the other day who had the philosophy that uh, if God is sending someone to him, then that means that person needs to be in your life. And so my attitude is a lot of people are sociopaths, psychopaths. You don't want to just give people free access to you. right? It's, it's wonderful to help out. It's wonderful to be of service. It's uh, wonderful to make new friends. It's wonderful to have new clients. But belief in God, faith in God, religion does not excuse you from making the hard decisions about whether or not you should allow someone into your life. Because a lot of people out there are bad, are dangerous. They will turn your life upside down. Talking borderline personality types, grandiosity, histrionic personality types, narcissistic personality types. Like These people tend to be sociopaths. And so one needs to exercise excellent judgment with regard to who you help out and who you allow into your life. Ah, writing thank you notes. That's a very Anglo-Saxon thing to do, writing thank you notes. I remember a joke in the New York Times, why don't uh, wasps hold orgies? Because it means too many thank you notes. Uh, be kind online. So yeah, the internet can be a particularly joyless place. Make an effort to be kind online. Yeah, little little kindness. Uh, spend time with people, you know, particularly people who are lonely. So uh, someone who's 
uh, in a wheelchair or like if you know a black person walks into a synagogue or you know someone who you know is particularly isolated at a social event i will usually be among the first people to go approach them and uh, try to make them feel welcome because i have have had the experience of feeling isolated so i know what that's like i feel for people who who feel isolated and so that that's one thing that i can do to bring joy uh, volunteer your time so i volunteer between about seven and 15 hours a week and uh, donate right so we have a lot of stuff that we don't necessarily need so yeah you can donate all right this is a terrific academic essay that i've been reading of pathogens and party lines social conservatism positively associates with COVID-19 precautions among U.S. Democrats, but not Republicans. So people on the left tend to be less pathogen avoidant than people on the right. Because one way that you can summarize someone's politics is by their threat reactivity. The bigger your reaction to a threat, the more likely you are to be on the right. So because people on the right have such a big reaction to threats, then they, they prefer traditional ways of organizing human behavior because they think that like a tried and true tested method that's operated for hundreds, even thousands of years is more likely to be, be the best option than some brand new untested method of organizing people. So uh, another way of of boiling down politics is do you believe in the doctrine of original sin? So that would be a Christian doctrine. So people on the right tend to a skeptical or negative view of human nature. People on the, the left tend towards a much more optimistic view of human nature. So threat reactivity, I, I think it has a substantial biological component. So if you walk down the street and you see a dead lizard or a pile of dog poo, what's your reaction to that? If you're on the right, you're likely to have much more of a reaction to that kind of disorder and that disgusting mess in front of you. So you can walk into someone's room or someone's office and you can get a read of their likely politics because people on the right tend to be more conscientious. So their room, their office is more likely to be clean and organized. People on the left tend to be less organized, less clean, but much more open to new experiences. So we have a seeming contradiction with regard to COVID, because generally speaking, we associate being right-wing with a very strong threat reactivity and a very strong pathogen, pathogen avoidance. Yes, Jim, looking forward to uh, meeting more of your high IQ friends. I love being around high IQ people. It's very difficult to communicate with people who are too IQ gradations either below you or above you. So I think I've got about a 125 IQ. So I can talk profitably uh, to people from about a 95 IQ up to about a 150 IQ. That's my sweet. Am I bringing joy today? I'd like to think that I'm, I'm bringing joy today. So given that right-wingers are more pathogen avoidant, more socially reactive than left-wingers, left why is it that right-wing politicians have generally underplayed the COVID threat and it's been politicians on the left who have taken it the most seriously. And so this essay says that the reason that uh, we don't see as strong pathogen avoidance among people on the right with regard to COVID is that they get their information 
from different places. They generally reject left-wing liberal news sources. They also don't give as much credence to scientists and science and and the deep state, right? They, they don't give as much credence to Anthony Fauci and the CDC and the the other government agencies that have to do with, with health. So there's much more of a suspicion of big government and of the proclamations of public health officials on the right than there is on the left. And I don't think either side is inherently going to be right. So sometimes government's the problem, sometimes government's the solution. With regard to COVID, it seems like uh, the most sane approach is to use use government to try to reduce the threat of this, this pathogen. So people on the right have lower trust in scientists, lower trust in the news media, lower trust in big government. Intellect versus love is like night and day. Yeah, so there's a time for both. For everything there is a season and a time and a place unto heaven. Conservatives are strong, uh, have strong genetics and more faith in their, yeah. So conservatives believe much more in the power of free will to shape life outcomes. And people on the left have much more belief in randomness and bad luck. So generally speaking, people on the right think that they can have a tremendous effect on their life outcomes. And they also believe that generally speaking, people are poor because people are lazy and they make bad decisions and uh, they exercise bad judgment and they may be criminally inclined and uh, so people on the left see poverty, illness as much more socially determined. All right. So, so I know during Ronald Reagan era, there's a lot of talk about welfare queens and, and abuse of the, uh, the the public welfare system, and this idea that poor people are poor because they don't want to work. Now, I love to work. Work is my middle name. So I'm going to throw a link to this uh, academic survey on uh, why relatively reduced uh, pathogen reaction on the right compared to to the left. So why have conservatives been more skeptical than Democrats about the dangers of COVID-19? So generally speaking, when you're a conservative, you are much more sensitive to threats. You're sensitive to threats from immigration, to crime, uh, to filth, to devious ways of doing things, to new social arrangements, relationships, things like gay marriage, going to be much more threatening to someone who's socially conservative. So social conservatism and social liberalism in the American sense are ends of an attitude spectrum. They basically represent resistance to or encouragement of social change. So to be on the left is to be much more positive about social change. To be on the right is to be much more skeptical about social change. So differences in reaction to social change are associated with individual differences in threat sensitivity. So do you process threat-related cues as salient, attention-garnering, emotionally invocative, and behaviorally motivating? So when you see something that's threatening, you go, ah, okay? When, when that's your reaction, you're much more likely to be on the right wing. So traditional social norms depend upon reducing threats, 
right? That's why we have traditions. So people who are more sensitive to the possibility of threats assume that traditional and socially normative practices offer more protection against threats. So we have traditions to mitigate threats, essentially, that we have ways of operating, ways of speaking, ways of organizing ourselves. We have practices and norms that uh, have an emotional resonance in people and that have been demonstrated over a long time period. And if we follow tradition, we're going to be safer than if we start doing things in a new way. And that our, our traditions can contain threats, including pathogens. Bye-bye.